0: Hey, welcome back to the weekend edition of Outdoors Live on News Radio The Mighty 790 KFGO and I'm your host Doug Lear. The last shot. The last shot for this weekend edition of Outdoors Live. Uh we still have a Central Dakota Outdoors report with Pat Stockdale. We're going to get you a podcast extra with Podcast Extra for you each and every weekend. Before we do that, let's get you a Central Dakota Outdoors report with Pat Stockdale. You read her work in Dakota Country Magazine. She is an award-winning outdoors communicator, and she connects with uh, the people in the places, the bait shops, the gas stations, the motels, the resorts, the guides, to give us a better idea of where people are going, what they're doing, what they're finding outdoors. Well, Pat, what's cooking outdoors this week?
1: Thanks, Doug. As we check elsewhere around North Dakota, much of the state is still in the wait-and-see mode for open-water fishing although some of the pike lakes will be opening along the shorelines for a hint of fishing activity soon. Generally, the safest bet is to wait for lakes to completely open up or try some of that pike activity with a bobber and herring or smelt. Lake Ashtabula is almost at full pool, but there likely won't be much more runoff coming in. The open water fishing opportunities that are out there are west on the Missouri River but the caveat throughout the summer will be the issue of access with ongoing low water issues. Not all of the docks were in place around Bismarck-Mandan earlier in the week, but the Washburn Dock is in. The tailrace is producing an occasional walleye from boats using jigs and minnows, but anglers might also want to try working the chutes for walleye. There's a few ling mixed in for something unique. The larger walleye tend to be taken more so around the tail race than farther south. If you're also looking for some open water activity, try Nelson Lake. The east end of Lake Skakwea has some open water shore fishing for pike in its back bays on both the north and south sides. There again, try that herring or smelt. The lake is opening up on the upper end around the Williston area, but anglers there are going to the Yellowstone and Missouri rivers west of Williston rather than the lake. The rest of the lake, including around the Van Hook Arm and west, is still iced in, although there is open water around Four Bears Bridge by Newtown. That's just because it's the bridge. On a hunting note, light geese are still moving through much of North Dakota, but more birds are around the northern tier than just coming into the southern end of the state. As a word of caution, an avian influenza outbreak is occurring and some areas may experience sightings of dead birds. People can report Anything they see along the lines of those dead birds on the North Dakota Game and Fish Department's Wildlife Mortality Report website link. And the website's gf.nd.gov. Good luck to those heading out for the opener of North Dakota's spring turkey season. At least tick repellent might not be needed this weekend.
0: Appreciate that report. That is Pat Stockdale. And she is an award-winning outdoors communicator. Again, read her work in Dakota Country Magazine and various other publications across the Midwest. Right now, it's time to get you that podcast extra from Here is a Podcast Extra.
2: And uh, we have with us Casey Anderson, the Wildlife Division Chief for North Dakota Game and Fish Department. How are you doing, Casey?
3: Yeah, so far so good. It's been uh, it's been a winter that uh, hasn't been too bad in a lot of the states. Some areas of the state have been a little rougher, but... It's starting to look like spring.
2: Well, here in the eastern part of the state, that hasn't been all that nice. Uh, it's been a little bit challenging, and I'm glad that it's almost over. You know, we, we chatted here last fall, uh, shortly after you became uh, Wildlife Division Chief, and we really haven't had a chance to talk about the deer numbers, both the harvest numbers from last year and, and some of your survey numbers from, from this year. So let's see if we can get some information out to our listeners as to what they might expect uh, when they get out there this year, what they see this summer. Um, let's start out with the harvest numbers from last fall. Uh, how, how did that turn out? Was it uh, pretty much what you expected? Were there any surprises?
3: Um, I would say that it was pretty much what we expected, Um, especially going into the fall. We knew, you know, some of these units that had EHD were going to see reduced success. Um, And so, yeah, we, you know, we gave out 72,000 licenses. And of course, you know, some of those licenses got returned back to us when we offered refunds on those EHD infected units. Um, but we had an overall hunter success across the state of about fifty seven percent. You know, overall, that wasn't terrible. It's maybe a little bit lower than uh, than normal, but we expected that. You know, normal is sitting right around that more sixty to seventy percent.
2: so Casey, managing managing the the deer herd, you really got to be able to look into the crystal ball because, you know, right now you're, you're starting to figure out how many licenses you're going to issue out this year. And you got to figure out all of this stuff, you know, how how the deer made it through the winter. And last year you had that wild card thrown in there of the EHD During What did that do to the total deer herd numbers? Uh, did it
3: drop it down quite a bit or not really that? So in in the units that were hardest hit, Along our Missouri River corridor, you know, it did it it did a, a significant number on the overall population. Now, we don't exactly know. You know, I, I couldn't tell you there was X amount of deer there, and we lost X amount of deer. You know, that being said, blessing and a curse, the Missouri River area didn't see a real tough winter, which is good for the ones that survived that that outbreak um they weren't stressed at another level again coming winter time but the curse was is we weren't able to get a count and be able to fly for whitetail deer in that area you know it's it's hard to see whitetail deer when snow is patchy on the open prairie it's pretty much impossible in the river bottoms
2: so correct me if i'm wrong but i think ehd that ehd outbreak had Quite a bit to do with the drought last year, it um, and it, do you anticipate that possibly this year we will have that again, or it's going to hopefully be behind us some?
3: So the you know the biggest risk would be outside of the areas that we've had EHD the last two or three years. You know, so if the drought persists and you get out farther, you know, east from where the main portion of that ehd outbreak was those deer have never seen ehd so if that drought persists we would expect it to kind of hit that next group of naive deer now like you said in the eastern side of the state they're not going to be in near the drought at least from the get-go there was a good amount of snow out there and so those Those areas where those midges persist in the mudflats in in wetlands and things like that, they should fill up the farther you go east with snow runoff. And so you won't be coming into what we had last year where we already had kind of a mud line and it just continually receded um, as far as those areas outside of where we've had EHD. Areas where we've had EHD, those deer that have survived EHD or at least the ones that were exposed to the virus and survived will have a pretty strong immunity and that can be passed into a few more generations as we move forward. So we shouldn't see an outbreak like we saw, you know, in the areas where we've had it. So.
2: That's really good news. Um, Casey, that's that's very good to hear that in, in those areas that have been affected already. So uh, one of the questions I have, Casey, is when you look at, at EHD, when you look at harvest numbers from last year, as you're looking ahead to future hunting seasons, twenty twenty two or even beyond, are you do those factors affect the total, the the statewide or or are they really looked at each unit individually to determine what is going to be available to hunters?
3: It will be each unit individually. Um, we'll have different informational sets that we can use. We have hunter harvest that we use. We have hunter observation surveys that we did, like those, what people saw out there. We have, of course, all of our field staff that are, that are poking around out in in those areas, and so we take that feedback into consideration, and then we have, you know, obviously the areas that we were able to fly this year and do whitetail deer counts. We were able to fly 18 of our 38 units, um, mostly east of the Missouri River. You know, kind of if you drew a straight line north and south along, almost like Highway 83. You know, and east, we did get really good counts, and so you know we had. We had six of our units that were up a little bit four that were down some and eight that were about the same out of those 18 units we flew so it gives us a you know pretty good a pretty good look especially at those units we were able to fly and of course we had and we'll look at the trends over time you know back the last five years what our success rates were and how ehd um, maybe affected that in these units and and, you know, then we factor all those things in to adjust licenses accordingly. But we do do it by specific deer hunting units.
2: So, Casey, when was that aerial survey mainly on the eastern part of the state? I'm sure it, it doesn't happen overnight and it takes some time. And the only reason I ask is because, it's, you know, with that harder winter on the east, east side of the state, is there potential that we could have had more winter kill uh,
3: after the survey? Um. So the survey was, you know, ran February, April or Fe- February, March, excuse me, um, mostly in February. And we try to do that consistently when we can, when we have the snow cover, we try to cover them at the same times of the year from year to year that we can fly. Um, we have had a few years where winter persisted quite a while. I don't know if you remember like 2010. In 11, we had pretty good winters, and I think we did a follow-up survey to kind of assess just what you asked. But this year, with when we flew to when we really started to warm up, you know, significantly, and obviously we haven't had much snow here in the last few weeks, and so, you know, we don't anticipate unless we would get like a large March blizzard here or something, March, April, you know, we're, we're still in North Dakota, so things can happen, but at this point we wouldn't, we wouldn't anticipate a large die-off because of weather anymore unless we got one of those fluke, large, wet, snow blizzards, kind of. Yeah.
2: All right, Casey, we got, we got to finish up here. Uh we really appreciate you giving a little bit of your time for us and our listeners and filling us in on what's going on out there and all the hard work you do. Uh, keep up the good work and, uh, thank you for coming on Gone Outdoors. You bet.
3: Pleasure to be on.
0: Well, it is going to wrap things up for this weekend edition of Outdoors Live. Appreciate the podcast extra being made available, boys. Ben, the weekend edition of Outdoors Live on News Radio, the mighty 790 KFGO and FM 104.7. Till next time, I'm Doug Lear reminding you, as always, keep your lines tight and your powder dry. Have a great one out there.